0: episode 327 of the mark and me podcast as always i'm your host mark now joining me on today's episode is jack Undenkoffler from the incredible band dead poet society this for me is a band that i hope i bring to many people's ears from today's podcast because they're absolutely phenomenal i've only recently started listening to them over the last six months but i'm absolutely in love And I can't wait to catch them in the UK on their March tour, which is only a few weeks away. And hopefully after today's interview, you'll check the band out, you'll go and listen, you'll love them. And you might even get yourself a ticket or buy one of their records because it's absolutely guaranteed money well spent. They're that good. And Jack is just adorable, a really kind, genuine soul. And I can't wait to share this interview with you in just a couple of minutes time. But before we get there, let's quickly touch base and talk about episode 326. It only came out on Sunday, literally a couple of days ago, but I was joined by Connor from the Scratch, another band that are touring right now and should be on your radar. They're absolutely phenomenal. But I think the best thing to do now is to get to the interview with today's guest. I'm joined, like I said, by Jack from Dead Society. So here's me and Jack talking all things music. So, Jack, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Jack, what I love to do with all guests that have come on, and I've done the podcast now for seven years, but it's always the same <coughs> first question. Um, I'm really intrigued. What was that first album that you remember buying as a kid? Maybe it was with your pocket money or someone in the family gave you. But that first Ooh. album that you remember, absolutely just adoring.
1: Um, I think it was... Creed actually, or maybe it you was admit all that? American. You tell people retains. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm tired of pretending Creed's not an amazing band, dude. Yeah, that's fair. I love that band, and also, um, or it might it. No, you know what it was? It was Smash Mouth. Oh wow! Yeah, but like their first years. album is. Yeah, yeah. Back when they were like a when they first started, they were like a ska yeah band. So I think it was that album, the one with the the car in space on the front.
0: How old are you at this point? I'm trying to picture it when Smash Mouth were kind of...
1: 30, we looking... I'm 30 now.
0: Okay, so are we looking like 15, 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks.
1: No, 20 years ago. Yeah, years. probably like 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. So were you kind of straight away wanting to go down the avenue of getting into punk rock and that sort of like Offspring and Green Day and Blink-182? Did that kind of come from Smash Mouth or did you go in a slightly different direction?
2: Um,
1: I don't, you know, like, so I wasn't introduced to a lot of music growing up. No. My parents kind of, they were huge into Frank Sinatra, uh, Chet Baker. And like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and so we listened to a lot of that growing up. But most of the stuff that all of my friends grew up listening to, I had to kind of like discover on my own.
2: Yeah,
1: like classic rock, I didn't listen to any of it till I was in high school. And uh, but when I first started playing guitar, it was it was uh, Green Day mostly that I listened to, and then my dad. Out of nowhere, even though he never listened to Bob Dylan, got me this like Bob Dylan essentials chord book. I just went through and learned probably like two thirds of the 50 songs that were in there. And those two artists, Green Day and Bob Dylan were kind of like the start of my interest in music.
0: I mean, I'm 41, so I'm a bit older than you, but I was very similar so my mom got me a guitar book and it was like the basic chords you know C G D and A mm-hmm. but then it was like play along with the Beatles and it just had like 50 Beatles songs in and it was only just after that, that I discovered you could go and this is before the internet and stuff like you know buying um tab was a big thing so you'd buy an album of tablature and I'd yeah. learn literally Green Day Dookie um and I, I couldn't believe how simple it was. You know, it's incredible. Um, but learning right. to play stuff like when I come around and just knowing it was four power chords, it was like, oh, this is amazing. So I could sit and play along to Longview and Basket Case and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, it was amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's so sick when you're that age, too, because you're just full of like raw emotion that once you get those chords down, you're just purely, purely feeling everything that you're doing. You're just like, yes, Fucking digging into it. It's I, don't it's just been like, I don't know
0: if it's just been an innocent kid, but I, I seem to remember back then as well, it always seemed a lot easier. Like I could pick up the guitar and play along to these Green Day songs and just have fun with it and just sit there playing along. And now... Mm-hmm trying to like learn some songs i'm like my brain doesn't want to hold the information as much it's like same with video games if i play a video game now i'm like i can't fucking do this it's too complicated like yeah my brain's tired it doesn't care for xbox or playstation i'm like it's too hard work
1: yeah i think i don't know what it i mean it must be like it must be just you know your brain loses that like neuroplasticity like the older you get but at the same time, I think I think the older you get, you think a lot more. Yeah. And that hinders that raw experience of just absorbing everything that comes at you. Cause I'm yeah. the same exact way. Like I like I've same with video games, except for Starfield. I just got Starfield and that was I played that for about a month straight once I got off tour. But yeah, same thing. It's just it's just like I don't want to learn this, but I don't know.
0: It just feels like more of a challenge now. Like it's a, it's a bigger hill to climb. It's, it's not a hill, it's a mountain. And uh, right. picking up those guitar books back in the day, then I'd get stuff like um, Pearl Jam, Ten, I remember the book for that, Foo Fighters, yeah. their debut album. And it was really yeah. like, I'd sit there for the whole day and learn every song on the album and play along and be like Monkey Wrench and all this and be like, this is awesome. But now it just seems yeah. like I just it's too much effort.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Does anybody use, like, Ultimate Guitar Tab? You remember that website?
0: Yeah, I remember it all the time, and it used to be incredible. But I think what they do now, because uh, I still like to play. I, I'm, not a, I'm not you know, a musician, as in I don't go and do it as a professional. But I love just to sit on an acoustic and just play sometimes. And right. I'll hear a song like Jeff Buckley or someone that I just adore. And I'll just mm-hmm. set myself a challenge on a Sunday just to learn a Radiohead song or something. But I think now you have to pay, like... You get the first few chords, and then to learn the actual rest of the song, it's like a subscription.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, really? That's how they do it now? I
0: think so, yeah. I don't think it's as good that as the sucks. old days where you could just get the whole lot and print it out and be like, you know, th- there's like these yeah. basic ones. Now. But I just go on YouTube and watch some guy, and he'll teach me a simpler version.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I ju- I just learned this song called uh, Tomorrow by Shaky Graves. Do you know Shaky Graves?
0: No, I don't.
1: Oh, dude. He's amazing. To, he's like... the best person in my life. Yes, 100% you do. He uh listen to the song tomorrow. It's just this he's got a full band now, but when he started it was just him and his acoustic and he does this like folky banjo picking that's just I mean it's top like so emotional on both ends when it's just it's so hard to describe because when you're listening to it like you think it could be two people playing cause he's singing very soulfully and he's playing very soulfully. And then you watch his videos and it's just him. And I was like, I saw that. And I was like, I need to learn that. And so I went online and I spent the past like three months just watching this dude just slowly play through the song. And, uh, Did you master uh, it in
0: the end? Have you got it down to a T? I've
1: got it down pretty good now.
0: Oh nice. There's something really rewarding, isn't it, when you get it right, you're like, as long as it took fucking ages, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm now playing it.
1: Yeah, when you reach that point where you don't have to think about it anymore.
0: Oh, it's embedded somewhere there, and you're like, Oh, this is autopilot, and you can just not look away and be like, Oh, I'm still playing. Yep yeah so what about live music do because we've talked about green day and they were one of the first bands i ever saw on the dookie tour so it shows my age um Mm -hmm. locally in the uk there's a good place called wolverhampton um it's not far from where you guys are playing next year in birmingham but they used to get Mm -hmm. these incredible big bands in these really small venues so i saw stuff like corn limp biscuit deftones all in these like you know the crowd was no bigger than 200 people um and I was wondering what that first gig was that you can remember you went to that kind of made you have that urge to want to be in a band.
1: Um, you know, my first concert was actually pretty late. I think I was sixteen. Um, yeah. I went and saw John Mayer. Oh wow! At at the Virginia Amphitheater, uh, Virginia Beach, and uh, that's
0: pretty special for a first show. Like some people have come on and just been like, oh, "I went to see my mate's local band," but John Mayer, right? like, that's awesome.
1: It was pretty unreal, dude. Uh, We, you know, what was really cool about it was uh, we just got lawn seats, like cheapest we could get. And uh, this guy came up to us and uh, he clearly worked for the venue. He was like, are you guys John Mayer fans? We were like, yeah. And he's like, well, we're trying to fill up the front. Like, do you guys want these tickets? (laughs) Wow. Wait, what? (laughs) And this was maybe like four songs in. We were like, yeah, fuck yeah, we do. And so we start walking down to the front and we get to like the first like row of fucking, you know, like where the lawn turns into the seats and the person's like, go further. So we start walking down more and we get to the next guy and we're like, where are these seats? And he was like, keep going all the way down. So we go all the way down and we're right up on the stage. And I was like,
2: oh my God. it felt like
1: we were, we were like breaking some sort of rule being this close. And the person was like, yep, right there. We just went, stood maybe. 15 feet from him just like what the hell
0: and that's your first pretty cool kind of taste of live music it's never gonna go and kind of top that are you really yeah no (laughs) No. was it at that point you were kind of thinking to yourself i want to be in a band i want to i want to do something like this or was it a bit later on i mean you said you were sort of 16 so was it a little bit later that you kind of thought to yourself i want to go down that road
1: yeah i think i was i was kind of torn when i was in high school because you know, the pressure of everybody being like, go to college. You know, yeah. like, you don't want to be a musician. You're going to work at McDonald's, blah, 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 blah. But then, like, constantly being drawn to that sort of, like, feeling of just... um, You can reach, like, a different level of emotion when you're alone long enough and it's late at night and you're not thinking. And that kind of, like, just feeling of, like, involuntarily bringing emotion out of yourself when you create something you know was just very tantalizing and and that just kind of kept hitting the back of my head and you know my dad was pretty against it (laughs) me and uh i remember i it's so cheesy but i wrote him a song and he like kind of like teared up a little bit and he was like do you want to do this and i was like yeah he's like all right then i'm behind it go for it and uh and that's, that's kind of, that was probably like 17-ish. And uh, I just went all in. I applied to go to music school, which was a mistake. But, you know, that's how I found my band. And,
0: uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing because, I ask this to a lot of people, but because I interview film directors or actors or musicians, sometimes I truly believe that a parent's nightmare is their kid turns around and says mom dad I'm going to be the next Kurt Cobain or I'm going to be in a rock band like I don't want to go to university I don't want to study but to have the backing from your dad and your family that is crucial isn't it I mean Mm -hmm. that's beautiful to hear that your dad you know I mean you wrote a song and kind of won him over but you proved to him and showed him that like Please put your f- a kind of faith and trust in me because I really want this. It's not just like a a bit of a f- like a a hobby. You want to really do something with this,
1: right? Right. And I was, you know, <clears throat> I can't imagine it was very easy for him because I remember having a pretty real conversation with him my freshman year of college. I was like kind of asking for advice, and you know, he grew up in you know, uh, he was a fighter pilot military guy. And then he was a, he was a pilot for Delta for many years. And so his, he had no advice, you know, he kind of just was like, Hey dude, he was like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You just got to kind of figure it out. And so kind of being on my own in that sort of world of like, okay, every decision I make is fully my responsibility. I don't have any guidance in any of this, I think was really helpful and growing But like having that simultaneous, like, you know, I support what you're doing emotionally. That was that was kind of nice. So it was kind of like a little bit of uh, support, but also you got to figure it out on your own kind of thing.
0: So you said you went to music school. Is that where you met all the band uh, members that you're in the band with now? Is that how it all kind of I was going to say, how did you guys kind of meet? But is that how it all kind of came as one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, freshman year at Berkeley, I was friends with our guitarist Jack's roommate. Yeah. And uh, they kind of like it was our guitarist now and then our old bassist at the time. And they were kind of like cycling through band members. And I remember not wanting to join the band at all because I thought they were really bad. <laughs> And uh, so <laughs>
0: they know this, or they're going to find out by listening to this, and then you're gonna to have to nah, explain. No, no.
1: I've told this story before, I've told this story, <laughs> before. but I thought they were there was even a meme at Berkeley about like how bad they were, and uh, and they were so bad, in fact, that one of my best friends was drumming for them at the time, and I like sat him down at this like burrito shop by Berkeley. And like As a genuinely concerned friend And I was like you have to leave this band Dude like you gotta get out of this band And do something else And then six months later I ended up joining the band and I was like Oops. How,
0: How'd you go from that Like dude get out of this to Fuck it I'll jump in and this sinking boat I'll join you on it like were you just Determined to turn it around Were you just kind of like I reckon we we Have still got something here even though it's not Great there's something yes. there that we can work with
1: um so they had like a few songs and their drummer had left because of me and their singer had left the band yeah and uh so they just had these songs that they had written and Jack had heard me sing and he liked my voice and so he asked me like if I could sing on these songs and I was kind of doing my own thing at the time, but you know, I was there was a friend group starting to form, and so I didn't want to be like, no, you know. So, I uh, I went and sang on a couple of the songs, and I tweaked them like lyrically in a few different places and melodically, and I guess they liked that, and so they asked me to join the band, and I kept dodging it because I really didn't want to join the band. And I just kept dodging them (laughs) and dodging them,
0: (laughs) but eventually just kind of submit and go. Okay, fine.
1: Right. Yeah. The bassist showed up at my front door. Wow. And was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Just hanging out." And he was like, "Do you want to write?" I was like, "Oh no." And so we like, I like, was like, "Sure, yeah." Like reluctantly, and I brought him upstairs, and uh, we wrote what ended up being the very first song we released as a band like together from the start and it was called one four five it's just you know it's like a bluesy rock kind of song and after that moment i was like oh maybe there is something that's kind of cool here i'd never co-written before you know and, and i thought that was pretty fun and yeah the rest is that was kind great. of the origins of it yeah what
0: surprised me about you guys is it's been 10 years since the release of weapons you know like 10 years has gone by which just blows my mind um what was your vision when this band then obviously you joined there's a bit of a lineup change i'm sure the dynamics changed with your expectations of the band and i said this with respect at that point being quite low like you know you didn't really love this band you were like guys you're terrible Did you Mm -hmm. kind of then kind of have this anticipation and kind of goal for you guys as we will just play as many shows as we can, we will just work our asses off and basically get as many support slots as we can, and then just hopefully it'll just naturally and organically grow?
1: Um, Yeah, I think it was a pretty heavy hustle mindset from the beginning because we didn't really know I mean, we didn't really know what to do nobody I mean nobody knows what to do you know it starts off you just like making music you know and and you're writing something and you don't you don't know what you're gonna do with it you just know to like all right we have this thing that we think is really sick let's just put it out there and once we did that a few times like we released our weapons EP and then we released, a song called uh sound and silence and you know it's it's kind of like a. in my looking back on it i i don't like that song very much at all but i know
0: like in hindsight still yeah. people that
1: yeah in hindsight but we advertised it to like north america just because it was like this broad Swath of land with no targeting. We didn't know how to use Google AdWords. We just advertised it everywhere on YouTube. And for like, we had a budget of like two hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. We just spit it out there, and this YouTuber down in Mexico found it and shouted it out on his YouTube channel. And we got like a hundred thousand views on it, like overnight. Wow.
2: And we we're
1: like, "Whoa, what the heck!" And so we, so we reached out to the guy, and turned out he had a band, and. We were like, we gotta go down to Mexico and play shows. Like, we gotta go to Mexico and play shows now. Like we have to figure out a way to get there. Like so, because we knew that like playing shows in that area locks in fans. Like, yeah, that's what we need to do. And uh we messaged the guy, we were like, Can we open up for you? He was like, Yeah, sure, come on, whatever. And we were like, How's February? We'll come down there. We'll play like five or six shows. And he was like, Yeah, sounds good. So we booked the tickets and we told him we booked the tickets. And he was like, Oh, you're actually coming. Okay, cool. I'll I'll book some shows. (laughs) And that was kind of like the beginning of the the, like touring lifestyle for us. You know, we were all kind of addicted after that because it's just, it's like camping. It's like, it sucks, but it's so much fun at the same time. And uh, he's, it's just like an adventure every time you go, especially when we would go to Mexico and tour with the bands down there. It was just like entering a whole different universe and it was so much fun and everybody was so nice and, and we were like, okay, cool. We're going to do this forever. And so it became like the, it was like this win-win of like, this is how you get fans and we get to travel and play shows. Like it's perfect. And so that kind of like started that whole like grind and hustle of like We are a live band. People seem to react when we play. Our shows, you know, like, keep getting bigger. And so let's just focus on getting as good as we possibly can.
0: I love it. And were you kind of all on the same page? You kind of felt like you all had the same ambitions. You kind of all thought, we're going to go for it properly, like, not half-hearted. Like, we need to all be in this together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it was... All in for everybody. He's I mean, like, when we graduated college and we moved to California, you know, none of us had. I like, we got here and we had Jack and I had enough money to get an Airbnb for a month, uh, while we figured out where we were gonna live because we had been evicted from our last apartment in Boston and <laughs> we like didn't know where we were gonna go. Didn't we? Didn't have any money. We we're trying to get jobs and we ended up falling into this Airbnb in Santa Ana, California. And it was the four of us living in this two bedroom apartment. Our basis li- lived on the balcony and the three of us lived on the couch and two beds and rotated those out and it was it was just like if we're going to make this work like we all got to be together. We're all working jobs nonstop. You know, it was like working, you know, eight to 12 hour shifts every single day, doing Uber and then coming home and writing music. And it was just like this unit of like everybody just going as hard as they possibly can to keep this thing afloat, you know, because it's like if you if you're not like a if, you know, you don't have some sort of rich uncle funding your entire project, it's very difficult to get it off the ground because you have you have to live somewhere. And you have to work and then, but also at the same time, you have to leave those jobs constantly because you're going on tour. Yeah. So it Can can't I go be away on
0: holiday boss for the next <laughs> six weeks, please. Exactly. Four weeks annual leave allowance, but I want to go and fucking play with my band.
1: Right. Right. I think, I mean, I, i between the, between the four of us, or I guess the three of us, because our bassist is, has been with the band for about four years now. And, yeah. um, we've probably had well over 30 jobs in the span of like four years. (laughs) It's like
2: you you you, uh, do everything.
0: Were you kind of mentally reassured while you were doing this by the fact that when you were doing these shows and you were taking this annual leave from work and quitting jobs, the crowds were getting bigger. More people were singing back your songs. You noticed the kind of, okay, we're supporting this band and we're going to try and win some fans over – but hey, this is quite good because last night there wasn't as many people and tonight we're selling a bit more merch or tonight I've noticed the same faces from yesterday. So you can kind of feel that momentum.
1: Yes, you can. And I think more so now than we could when we when we first moved to California or when we first sort of like set out to like, this is what we got to do. Um, so I'm not like the first you know, I've been in California now for seven years and it's been a rough seven years, but it's, and there wasn't a lot of reassurance in the beginning, you know, it was more so just this like hope that there would be reassurance. And it was, you know, we tore Mexico maybe twice a year for what we could afford at the time. And, Those, yeah, those little two-week glimpses would be what would keep us going because the rest of the 11 months would just be suck. And uh, so, yeah, the more and more it happened, the more reassuring and it was that, okay, like, we can do this. We can make this happen. So it was was not a lot of hope in the beginning.
2: (laughs) But But the the
0: fact is, like, you know, we're here 10 years later. Uh, on the verge of a new album coming out you must be absolutely still loving it you must be feeling like it's all been worth it because you haven't had no, a band up change you know for four years since your last member joins you are doing much bigger shows your figures on which i hate that we get judged by our numbers but spotify mm-hmm. and all your numbers of followers and everything it's huge man like you must be feeling really really awesome right now
1: yeah yeah, I I am. I am. I've I've felt very optimistic about the whole thing. You, you know, you don't want to get cocky about it, but it's it's it feels very good at this point. And and I mean, the fact that we're 10 years into this and we still love making music and at the at the core of it all that's what what why we do this is because it's just You love. I love just having a feeling, and then putting that feeling into a tangible form, and to see, you know, no matter what scale we're on, somebody out there feels that same thing that we we felt. Um, doesn't get really more magical than that.
0: I think. Obviously, leading up to whenever I do an interview, I spend like the first three or four days just solidly listening to you guys. So what I'll do is I'll get a band to interview. There's no point in me sitting there and reading all the a biography because I want to get to know you on the actual show. So it feels natural instead of just, you know, reading like a bloody... entry on a website there's no point it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me but what i've noticed with your albums is the progression of um songwriting of the musicianship and the favorite bands that i will always listen to are bands like Frice, uh radiohead Mm -hmm. and they're bands that evolve and they don't sound like the last thing they did they always try and challenge themselves and right. what i've really noticed with you guys is the same you don't play it safe you're not just the same band that you were <laughs> off your first album back in 2015 mm-hmm. like it's incredible to hear the growth and obviously your maturity and the production of your latest work is fucking unbelievable like okay how, <laughs> how, how could i love you the Ugh. the kind of oomph and the drive and the the production is just incredible you must be so proud and so excited that the world gets to hear this in you know less than two months time
1: yeah I'm stoked on it dude I mean like this album like you said is it's a departure from our last stuff while still being us and and like who you know you don't you don't aim to write the same stuff or not write the same stuff. I think you just grow as a person over time. And because you grow as a person over time, the things that you feel and express and how you express them change too. And uh, making sure that whatever we write is what we feel as if nobody's going to ever listen to it is really important to us. And uh, that's a lot. That's what this album is. And, 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 just to have somebody like Anton, who was our producer, and uh and Benjamin Rice, who was our other producer, just bring it to a level where hopefully we stop. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it's a good thing, but we get this thing at shows where people will be like, You guys sound so much better live than you do on the recording. And I that's such that's such a compliment, but at the same time, you're like, What's wrong with the recording? What's, what's you know? Course, so yeah. So to have somebody come and take it to a level where it's like, okay, I think I think this these two hopefully will sound on par with each other is, you know, does it it's kind really of feel sick.
0: slightly nervous? Like, are we going to now sound as good as the recording because it's so yeah. beautiful?
1: But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, now it's it's going to challenge us to get better live. Yeah, you know, so.
0: That's a good thing as well. You never want to kind of rest on your morals or just kind of take it easy and just kind of rest where you are. You always want to challenge yourself. You always want to evolve.
1: Right. If each next step you take doesn't, you know, put a pit in your stomach because you're not sure whether or not it's going to work, then, you know, you're not really taking a risk. So you're not really putting yourself out there to step up.
0: And as a singer and a front man and a songwriter, do you still get really nervous? Do you feel intimidated when you play a big show? Do you still kind of think fuck I'm not feeling this tonight I need to wear a mask I need to turn this on I need to somehow find something within or are you just like bring it on I want the next one the next one the next one
1: at this point I just it's nothing but pure fun I fucking love it so much it's yeah getting up on stage I you know I still get like butterflies and stuff like that but I know that once I step out like it's unleashed it's like it's time to fucking go, baby. Like <laughs> I love the shows. My favorite shows are the ones that just feel like a party and we're just there facilitating the good time. And like that's those are my favorite when everybody in the audience is just they're all revved up and you don't need to start them. And like, if I can find that ev- as many nights as possible every night possible, then then it's it's like, why be nervous? Everybody there is there to have a good time so if you have a good time they're gonna have a good time because you're just you're feeding their energy right back to them and when you're doing that doesn't really require much effort it's just enjoy what you're doing
0: and is the fact that you've got this massive tour coming up you're getting to come over here in the UK that's gonna be great. There's some great venues. I was looking at the list earlier and the you know, the local one to me in Birmingham's such a beautiful, wonderful venue. The sound in there is crisp as anything, but also it's got a legacy. You know, there's bands in there like we've had, you know, Black Sabbath, Pearl Jam. All the great bands have been there and played it. So are you really yeah. excited to kind of cross the pond and come back over to the UK?
1: Yeah. I love I love playing in the UK. I love playing in in Europe. It's something over there is just I don't know. The shows are just, there's something visceral about play over there. It's, you know, like when we play uh, London, we're going to play the Scala. Yeah. And that'll, that'll, it's looking like it's going to sell out. And that'll be the biggest show that we've ever sold out and played. And the past shows we've had in London, which have been like, Two, 300 capacity, just pat, dirty, sweaty, have been chaos. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we double the size of it. <laughs> it's going to be so sick, dude.
0: Have you got any, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but have you got any ideas or anything in pencil at the moment to do any festivals over here? Or is it just kind of in talks at the moment?
1: Uh, I think we're looking at festivals. I don't know what's been announced and what hasn't or what's like official and what isn't. Yeah. So there are definitely festivals come. I know that.
0: <clears throat> You're teasing me now. <laughs> <laughs> There's announcements every week at the moment. We just had download. We just had 2000 trees. We just had our mm-hmm. tangent. So that a lot of stuff's happening. So I'm sure it won't be long until I see you guys on a poster.
1: Yeah. Both fun festivals, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Very, those very are great. Cool.
0: Really good. And they're just a really good environment. Like, the atmosphere there is just everyone's there just for the music. There's no dickheads, you know, it's just a really right. great place. Um, it's, I just, I miss it so much because I do all of them over in the summer here and I go into mm-hmm. your bands all day, every day and I fucking love it. And then it comes to the winter and it's kind of like, I've gone into hibernation. I'm like, come on. I want it to get to the summer. Yeah, I again. I want to see those the festivals shows.
1: Are just such an, it's just such a sick vibe to just, you know, I mean, I as like from an artist perspective you go there you play 45 minutes of just like you know go up there do your thing and then the rest of the day it's like you're at a theme park yeah it's like fucking amazing and it's just such an awesome vibe and everybody's just hanging out yeah it's great when when
0: I see the announcements and there is some official stuff I will make sure we catch up face to face I'll have you a beer and we'll actually just carry on chatting I'd love that that'd be awesome. Uh, what I do on this podcast, and I do it to every guest that comes on, and I do put you on the spot, and I think songwriters and especially musicians find this difficult because it's your life. But what I try and do to keep the podcast original as I can is everyone gets to choose the last song that's played. So after the podcast is edited and all the world's ready to listen to me and you talk, one mm-hmm. song plays. Now, it doesn't have to be by your own band. You know, there's only been one person that's ever picked his own band but everyone else chooses a song or a band that means something to them. And I know I'm putting you on the spot and there's probably a million songs in your head now going, (laughs) but what's the one that kind of came to your heart and soul as I asked the question that you would love to be played today?
1: I, I would say read my mind by the killers. That's a fucking great tune. I love that song so much.
0: Is there a reason behind it why you love that song? Does it like, does it captivate like a certain part of your life? Is it bring back certain memories? Is there nostalgia in it? Or is it just that you love the song?
1: Uh, it, to be honest, I don't really know. But that part in The Bridge where he goes, uh, uh, slip in my faith until I fall, she never returned that call. Well, then open the door don't let it stay. Uh, that part, oh, that part makes me like want to cry every time I hear it. I don't know yeah. why, because I don't even know what those lyrics mean. But, yeah it's just that song oh it's so good
0: it's incredible when you find those songs and sometimes there doesn't need to be a reason you know corduroy by pearl jam i don't know why but the break down and then it suddenly builds up and eddie's voice when it just kicks back in i think he doesn't even say anything i think he just goes hey but the way it crisp, like the way it just does it every single time even though i've listened to it a mm-hmm. thousand times the, the hairs stick up on my neck and i'm just like
1: it's so crazy right it's like a it's drug like... yeah yeah, that's, it's so weird how music is just this like, you know, we have these, these emotions, these perceptions f- that were built for, you know, survival, like happiness, ha- like happiness, horniness, anger, sadness, all these things. And then we discovered this way that if you make these sounds, you can trigger those emotions without any real world stimuli of those things. Yeah. And it's just the coolest, it's so sick. You know?
0: I've recently been getting a lot more into I sound like an old man, but like movie scores. Uh, and I'll listen to obviously, you know, Johnny Greenwood and people like that from Radiohead that are just the masters that have worked with like Paul, to, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and stuff. But even like Hans Zimmer, the power in his music is mm-hmm. just and his compositions. I was only just listening to Interstellar soundtrack the other day because if I listen to too many songs or, oh, so or trying to do work. I'll find myself singing along, and then like, oh shit, I'm I'm not getting any work done. Not
1: concentrating, yeah.
0: But um, I was just blown away. Like Interstellar soundtrack, like it's more than just a piece of music. It's it's like a feeling that I can't describe with words. How powerful right. it is. It's it's amazing. Yeah, mate. he
2: just
1: he like took emotions and put them into a tangible form. It's just like he was just like, this is how you trigger this emotion. This is like I wish yeah.
0: I knew the magic book of how to do
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's it's biggest make mystery make yourself feel something yeah I think Dude. that's I mean honestly I mean I'm you know we're obviously not the we're still working on being great songwriters you know we're gonna we'll get there one day but something that's always rung true to me is that if you make yourself feel something you've got you're almost guaranteed to make somebody else feel something
0: yeah and there would be somebody out there that's listening to this podcast today or a fan of your band that that happens to them when they listen to one of your songs, they have those emotions and that must be surreal. That must be like a pinch me moment, you know?
1: Yeah, it it is pretty magical. Yeah. And if I think about it too hard, I tend to tear up because like a lot of fans have shared a lot of stories with me about like what it means to them and like just, you know, it's like something I've always that was just like the childhood dream was to like just Make something that that made somebody feel something, and be able to just share what I feel and have that resonate and come back. And it's just, it's I don't know, it's the coolest thing on earth. I don't have a very extensive vocabulary to describe it, but
0: I don't don't think there are words to describe it. I think you know the fact you've been doing it ten years, and I honestly I've only met you today, but I think. We'll be having a chat again in another 10 years on how it's been 20 years since Dead Pirates Society. I truly think you'll do this for a very long time to come because it must feel like you're still only just finding yourselves. Even you then said you're not the perfect songwriters. You're not walking around with any arrogance or kind of, you know, oh, we've made it. You're, you're so hungry and kind of humble, but at the same time ambitious. And never lose that, dude.
1: No, well, I'll try my best, man. And thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> it's an absolute honor. Uh, I will come and see you in Birmingham. I give you my word. Um, I will buy you a beer and we'll do more of this because uh, you connect with a lot of guests and uh, your music is fucking awesome, dude, truly. And I never you, try and sound like a fanboy. I have spoke to my idols on this podcast. You know, I, I never thought I'd get like Jimmy World on here or um, Biffy Clyro. But you guys, are, crazy. you guys have got something very special, and I really can't wait for the world to hear your album.
1: Hey, well, thank you very much, man.
0: It's a pleasure. Good luck with the rest of the press. Good luck with the album release. Uh, good luck with the tour. And until our paths cross again, just look after yourself, dude.
1: All right, man. Likewise.
0: So there it is. There's my interview with me and Jack from the awesome band Dead Poet Society. I hope after today's interview, you'll now spend some time and go and check out this band. They're absolutely phenomenal. You may have even been a fan of the band and now you've just tuned in because you're a fan. And hey, I hope you stick around for more episodes of Mark and Me in the near future. All I ask for today, if you've listened to today's interview and have enjoyed it, please hit the share button. All the links are on markandme.com, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It costs you guys nothing to do at home and really goes a long way. Also, as I'm a one-man team podcast and an independent podcaster, I do really rely on Patreon. This is basically a way of saying thank you and giving me a little tip for this podcast. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, again, there's a link on markandme.com. You can sign up for as little as £1 a month and all that money goes right back into the podcast and allows me to host it and travel the country to record more interviews for you guys at home. I'll be back in only a few days time but just before I go I want to give a big shout out to the sponsor of the podcast Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for a new home cinema, TV or anything in audio and visual check out richersounds.com. So until the next episode's out look after yourself, take care, listen to Dead Poet Society and I'll speak to you all very soon.